You're listening to audio from the Town Center campus of CA Church, located in downtown Coquitlam. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Hi, my name is Diana. Uh, I would like to invite you to grab your Bibles or open your Bible apps at Matthew chapter 26, verses 17 to 30. And out of respect of God's inspired word to us today, I would like to invite you to stand if you're able, please. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12. And while they were eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judah, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom." When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. God of grace, thank you for an opportunity to, to step out of the noise, to step out of the, the very loud, intrusive liturgies of the world, and to be able to gather as your community, your body, to behold you, to be transfixed by you, and to leave here different than the way we arrived. And so with whatever we've come here, whatever else we've come here to accomplish in this next hour and a bit, I pray ultimately it would be in humility to say to you, whatever you want to teach us, whatever you want to call us to, whatever you want to open our minds to, we will do it. We will follow you wherever you lead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, on a weekend like this, right smack dab in the middle of spring break, you never know what you're going to get. And uh, so this is more than a remnant. This is fantastic. I'm so glad you guys are, are here out to church. Um, just going back to uh, Cassie's announcement, if you happen to have chocolate, just chocked full of peanuts. My office is up at Mariner, and you those, if you bought them by accident, oh, it doesn't matter, or if you're still going to go out, my office is, uh, I, don't know, I don't know, we have numbers on them, I don't know what my number is, but just leave it at the front desk, just tell me the roots for Brad, that'd be great. 
Um, we started last week a, a series called Behold. And what we're trying to do as we approach, as we walk through the season of Lent, and as we approach the Easter weekend, we want to look at the, the gospel story, the last uh, days of Jesus' life before his death and resurrection, uh, kind of from different angles, and, and really take it in. Um, if, you, if you grew up in the church like I did, you can often just kind of scoot through this stuff, uh, read, your, read your daily devotions and go, yeah, I know that one. And you can just drift off, but you can still get a check mark in the back of the daily bread, which is good. I, I think they still do that. So that's always good. Um, but what I want us to do is, is pause in, in these next few weeks and really behold, really take in these different uh, images. There's so much in this episode that uh, Deanna just read for us out of, of, out of Matthew 26. Um, there's the importance of the Passover meal, which we need to know about. And, and if you were here last week, um, Pastor Ryan talked about um, the Passover being the meal that the Israelites ate in remembrance uh, of their deliverance from slavery in Egypt centuries before. And on that night, before they were delivered from slavery, they were told to take a lamb, a perfect lamb, and to, to kill it, to wipe blood on, their, on the front of their doorposts so that the, the angel of death would pass over. And so for every year since their deliverance from slavery, they would eat this meal and they would remember that blood was spilt. They would eat together. They would remember the community that they're a part of. They would remember the story that they have been written into. So those are all things that are a part of what's going on here. Uh, there's the aspect of Judas here who, who's rejecting this larger story. Who, if we know the story, he followed Jesus for three years. Uh, he didn't like where the story was going or had a very small version of the story in his mind. He had a very, uh, most scholars would say he had a very militaristic idea or a political idea of what the Messiah was supposed to be. And when it what didn't go that way, he decided to make some money on the side and sold, uh, sold Jesus over or betrayed him for silver. But what I want us to hone in here, hone in on, is our verses 26 through to 30. This beautiful invitation to the Lord's Supper, to be at the table with the King of all creation. And what our invitation is here, and, and depending on your tradition, uh, often we see in the Gospels are what we call signs or symbols. And the point of those are to look through them into something much larger. So in this example, at the table, Jesus takes two very simple things and he makes them sacred, just like he does with you and I. He takes simple things and he, he says that they are now sacred because of his work in them. And so he takes bread and he takes the cup and he says, whenever you eat, the, eat this and drink this, I want you to realize that it's pointing to a much bigger reality. It's much more than just the table you're sitting at. It's part of something much bigger. So behold it, be transfixed, be taken in by it. It's the difference between just a glance, which many of us just throw a glance at something, and being in awe of the sunrise. It just looking at it and taking it in as much as you can, seeing where the sun, you know when you wake up and then you call, uh, well, it happens in my family, and my kids know this, that if, if Lelania sees the sun hit the mountain peak, she, everyone to the window, look, isn't that beautiful? Like, yes, we've seen it. But the idea is this being taken in as you see where, the, where it hits different areas, we're meant to be more and more in awe of it. 
Now, if you're like me, you grew up in the church, um, you maybe, or maybe even in a different tradition, you're used to this scenario, you're, you're used to this story. Maybe some of you have been traveled to uh, Milano in, in Italy and actually seen the, uh, the painting of Da Vinci's Last Supper. But for Jesus to speak these words with all that was packed into the Passover lamb and to have that meal with these uh, young men and to say, oh, but I'm going to add some new meaning to this. Their jaws would have been dropping and not just to fill up with food. Their, their eyes would have been widened at the implications of what Jesus was saying. Do not eat this meal. And I'm saying this to you now. Do not eat this meal without reflection and understanding its implications. I grew up in a staunch uh, Baptist church and my memories of, of communion, it, it seemed more like, um, you know, King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. All the elders would sit up front and they had these high-backed, some of you maybe have this tradition, these high-backed chairs and they all very solemnly and some of them would get up to, to, uh, to pray for the bread or for the cup. And it was actually a conversation on my desire to want to eat the cubed little pieces, cubed little pieces of bread and the, the little shot glasses of grape juice of Welch's. It was actually a conversation that I wanted to eat those. So I asked my dad, how do I get to those? Now, <laughs> I don't know how bad the snacks were at my house that that was like, I got to have crusty bread and I've got to have some juice. But it was actually a conversation through that, that I actually learned what it meant to be a Christ follower is through a, a discussion with my father about communion and what it all meant. In the first century, Jews were trying to figure out where they were in God's story. They were trying to figure out what God was up to. They were asking, God, have you forgotten us? Even as we eat this meal, we're, we're remembering what you've done in the past. But where are you at work right now? How, how come we're not seeing you right now? And, and what do they do while they wait? They, they continue to to step into this story through the Passover. And these are questions that you and I asked. You asked it this week. God, how are you at work in this? As, as we look at the news, as we look at the, the, where, where the world seems to be going, God, why are you not at work in all of this? And in the midst of all of that, we are invited to come to the table, because I think there's a, a handful of things as we reflect on the bread and the cup that we are meant to learn. One of the things we learn and we reflect on as we, as we have the bread and the cup is this. On its own, the world is without a story. On its left to itself, there is no good story. There's no sustaining meal in the world if it's outside of God's story. And unless we know we are in a story or which story we are in, we do not know how to interpret the present that we are currently in. If you are a, a, a hero in a Greek play, if you are a hero in, in Homer's Iliad or the Odyssey, you understood how you, were, how you were to live out your life, what you were to fight for and where you were to step back, what, when you were supposed to give a great monologue and when you were supposed to step back. You knew that because of the larger epic, the larger story that you were in. See, but you and I live in a time where over the last hundreds of years, we've been told by, by philosophers and public opinion and ideologies that there is no wider story and you just got to chisel one out for yourself. And we usually do that by following our hearts. Can't wait to get those shirts printed. CA Church Town Center, follow your heart. We live in what one Christian philosopher calls a time of the buffered self, meaning we're cut off from anything bigger. 
Nothing gets in and don't bother praying because nothing gets out. You are buffered. And in the last 400 years, there's been an effort to cut humanity off from a larger story. Secular philosophers have created a view of a reality that is unattached. And I shared that last, a few weeks ago about Nietzsche's understanding of the, of the madman. Talked to you about that the other day, Josh. About Nietzsche's madman saying, what are we going to do now that we've unhitched ourselves from the sun? There's no gravity. There's no pull. There's nothing that we understand where to orbit around now. So what now? That's the, that's the reality of the identity outside of a larger story. It's unstoried. And so the world has said, hey, there is nothing bigger. Have hope. Good luck to you. That's where we find ourselves. And so it's become evident that that the largest and most meaningful of moments in our lives are, are starved of purpose. So as a pastor, there's many people who come to the church who want to have a wedding in a church and they want a pastor to pray over that wedding. They have no interest in Christianity, no even belief in something larger, but there's something in them that wants something sacred over those moments. There's something in our big moments in life where that, that our heart is just drawn to say, please, please throw something on this. It gives me an understanding that this is happening in a big, even if with my mouth and with my life, I deny it. Please say something over my wedding that makes it feel like something that's playing out in a larger, more beautiful story. When there are, are, are funerals and people say, can you, can you please, can you just read a psalm or read some, some scripture? I don't buy it, but it would, be, it would just be nice to kind of have that sense. I've had people come and ask me to dedicate their children in front of the church. They don't attend the church, but they, they, want, they want to kind of put a stake down to say, this is playing out. There's something in us that is crying for the things in our lives to be playing out in something larger. Historian Glenn Sunshine says this. He says, the modern world's application of science to all areas of life may have given us knowledge, but it killed our soul. And and those who have a strong concern for the soul, uh, Christians, we ought to. We we believe that in Christ we live and move and have our being. There's a larger story. We're we're called citizens of heaven. We're we're referred to as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a, a people for his own possession. Those are descriptions of the church. But hey, let's be honest. As we live in this larger worldview, the the stuff that we swim in when we get out of this building, the ideologies that we hear, whether it be through music or, or whatever, politics, we can get caught up in all the same stuff. And then we ask ourselves, why am I so anxious? Why is, as the psalmist would say, why are you so downcast, oh my soul? Well, it's hard to understand the larger story when our eyes are looking down all the time. And much of what the world tells us is just look down. And we can get caught up. We can get caught up in consumerism because that'll bring us some joy. Individualism. These are all things that limit our worldview just to today's stage. Devoid of historical context, future consequences, and, and a firm connectedness to the eternal. Without God, on our own, we don't have a story. But here's the thing. The meal reminds us of God's story. When we come to the table and we eat together, it reminds us of God's great story. It's a way that that we rehearse and we animate the larger epic that you and I have been invited into if we call ourselves Christ followers. Stanley Grantz says that the Lord's Supper is a regular re-evangelization of the people of God. 
It's a way we revisit the gospel to ourselves. Every time we eat, we're preaching the gospel to ourselves. Just as Jesus says in Matthew 26, 29, which we read, says, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And Paul writes about the same scenario in 1 Corinthians. He says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. When? Until he comes again. So the Christian life takes place between two meals. It's a story of two meals. It's the meal that was given to his disciples, a small group of 12, there are probably more there, but the 12 that have been named and we know, and the meal that we will eat again at his return. The meal that, that all of, all of the, 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 the Lord's suppers that we take are all pointing towards. So you and I live our Christian faith between these two meals. That is the beginning and the end. Meaning that when the church takes part in the Lord's Supper, she revisits the epic of God's redemptive story over and over, reminding herself that she is a leading character in the larger, more beautiful narrative that Jesus has invited us into. James K.A. Smith, who's a Christian philosopher, he says, because we are liturgical animals, we need to recognize the rival liturgies that vie for our hearts and then commit ourselves to the rightly ordered liturgies of Christian worship as a recalibration and rehabituation project. Every time we come here and we've heard all the liturgies that have been speaking to us for the week, we come here and we go, let's just adjust and recalibrate our hearts towards the gospel. What have I been chewing on this week? (laughs) What have I been trying to find sustenance on this week? I need to remember, I need to calibrate my heart towards Christ for only he has the words of eternal life. It's a continual reminder that regardless of the frequency and, and the volume of the world's narrative, we have not been severed from God. Another author calls uh, the supper and baptism. He calls them community events whereby we participate in God's story and God's family life so that the church might experience more fully its participation in God's story. It's a kind of community theater in which church experiences the grace of God through reenacting the gospel drama. Love that. This is one of the ways that Jesus has given us to practice what, what Paul calls in Romans 12 too, where he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So like the, like the heroes in the, in the epics, you want to know how to, to live right. You want to know how to have perspective. Part of it is to revisit the story over and over. And one of the great ways that Jesus gave the church to revisit the story over and over is to have communion. In the same way that ancient Israel, surrounded by competing ideologies and competing politics and competing priorities... Simultaneously, they revisited and sustained themselves through Passover. The church today finds its story revisited and animated through the Lord's Supper. The last thing I will say is this, is, is through the Lord's Supper, the meal sustains us in God's story. It doesn't just remind us, it actually sustains us in the story continues to give us strength as we continue to visit this story over and over. It does this in three ways. First, it gives us strength. It gives us strength when, when approached correctly. Uh, Grentz writes this. He says, The Lord's Supper is a repeated reaffirmation of what we initially declared in our baptism. 
We're saying it over and over and over again. Just like people who renew their vows. Yes, I promise to continue in this story, continue to find strength from this story. It's a, a communal preaching of the gospel to ourselves. The other thing is, I don't know whether you ever thought of this, but the meal, the, the Lord's Supper in, in the first century, first of all, there were all sorts of rumors that went on with the church, and some of you have, have read some of those things. They thought that Christians were cannibals, that they were eating flesh because they would recite the Lord's words from, from Matthew 26. This is my body. This is my blood. But also, when Christians would get together to eat the Lord's Supper, it was a submersive, subversive thing, not submersive, subversive thing that they were doing. See, whenever Romans got together in the Roman world, they would get together, they would proclaim that Caesar is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. They would give some incense to him. They would sing songs of worship to Caesar and eat a meal together. Christians are doing a mirror of that, but they are proclaiming Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And they are eating a meal that continues to remember what he has done to overpower all other kingdoms. I don't know whether... Anytime in the past when you've come down and, and you've had the Lord's Supper, uh, you've thought, man, I'm being subversive. This is what I'm doing to the community. I am declaring that what the world says is important, that what the, the world is declaring of, of the importance of the world's kingdoms and politics, I've got something much bigger going on. And it's actually a pushback on what the world is saying we ought to consume with our flesh and with our hearts and with our minds. So I don't know whether you're feeling rebellious today but we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper in a minute. It's a subversive meal. When Jesus established his supper, he commanded his followers to practice it in remembrance of him. It's an interesting word in the Greek, anamnesis. It is, it's a command. It's not just simply to kind of remember the past and fondly and just think nicely of it. it. It means to remember the past and apply it to your present so that it changes the way you think and it changes the way you live. In other words, when you eat and drink, let, let all that it represents animate your life now. Not just go, oh, that was really nice what Jesus did. No, let, it, let the, the truth of it sustain you now. We live a life looking to Jesus for sustenance. We live a life that looks back to, to the, the forgiveness that we've been offered and we let it animate, animate our present existence. We live a life that looks to the, the future when he will return. The meal also sustains us through giving us hope. Gordon Smith says the Lord's Supper is a means by which hope is both declared and cultivated. I don't think that can be overstated. I mean, there, there's, we can, we can get so used to doing a certain practice that we kind of just dismiss it, like, like breathing in and out without really thinking about it. But Smith goes on to say, I don't have it up there, but he says, we live and work in a discouraging world. And our capacity to make a difference for good, whether at home or in our occupations, in the church or in the world, resides in a large measure to whether we do what we are called to do out of an abiding confidence that one day all will be well. We need to be people of hope. When we eat the Lord's Supper, it's not only a, a supper of strength, it's also a supper of 
hope because we look to the future because as we read in Matthew 26 and in 1 Corinthians 11, we will eat it again with him. They're, it's all teleologically aiming towards a meal that we will have face to face with our Savior. And because of that, because it brings us strength, because it gives us hope, it is also a meal that sustains us through celebration. God loves meals that are all about celebration. We've talked about this here before. The Old Testament is riddled with commands to eat food and have good drink and party. The kingdom of God is all about parties. Jesus' first miracle was turning water to wine and every, so that he could save a young couple from embarrassment and that everyone could have a great celebration. The people of Israel knew how to celebrate. God even demanded that they would tithe or save money in order to have food to party. And I don't think they went and just got like the Dixie paper cups. I think they really knew how to party. It wasn't just pizza. It was a good meal. Wow. For all of us, some of us, pizza is a great, fantastic meal. When we eat the meal, it is a celebration because we are remembering, we are adopted, we, are, we, are, we have belonging, we have identity. These are the things the world is running everywhere to find. To find identity and belonging, whether it be with a certain group that identifies a certain way, whether it be with a, a, a political group, that, that draws very, very thick lines so that they know who's in and who's out. We step into the gospel and we say, I'm accepted, but I made a mistake. I stepped on this line. It doesn't matter. You're in. We celebrate being adopted into the family of God. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, Yet all who did receive him to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We've read that too many times that we don't, we don't behold that. Right to be called children of the living God. Ephesians 2, 12 to 13. Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near to the, by the blood of Christ. We look forward with hope and we celebrate one of the, the glorious um, revelations of what that will look like is in Revelation 21, verses 1 to 4. So then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Sea represents chaos to the ancient world. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is the meal, what the meal aims towards, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. We eat towards the new order of things when we eat and drink the Lord's Supper. We celebrate our inclusion and our grafting into a grand Christian epic. Even the different titles of the Lord's Supper, and depending on, on maybe what kind of uh, uh, religious tradition you grew up in, we have different names for the Lord's Supper. Some, some backgrounds, traditions call it a sacrament. 
It's a meal that is set apart as holy. Some call it a rite, R-I-T-E. It's, it's ordained by the Lord. The Eucharist means a, a, a meal of giving thanks. Communion, emphasizing the communal aspect. We're connected to God and we're connected to each other as we take communion. And all of these words are, are kind of a way of, of turning the diamond so that we see the beauty and the depth of what the Lord's Supper is from different angles. But they also highlight the fact that one title is insufficient for what this meal is. One title just does not pull it off to explain the importance of the Lord's Supper. It is ultimately a meal of anticipation. It's meant to nurture and sustain a hope-filled, thankful community of eternity-minded, Christ-oriented people. In a nihilistic, disenchanted, storyless society, it is Jesus' gift of sustenance and strength to his brothers and sisters. Leslie Newbegin, who was a, a missionary and a theologian, he wrote this. He says, the life which is a true foretaste of the kingdom between the ascension of Christ and his return will be in the life of a community which remembers, rehearses, and lives by the story which the Bible tells and of which the central focus is the story told in the New Testament. The tangible practices of Christian worship, including the, the tangible elements of the bread and the cup, they all work together to nurture in our imaginations, to, to teach us to want more of him, less of what the world has to offer. This is the gift of the Lord's Supper. And so it's, it's my hope and it's my prayer that not only now, as we enter into a time of the Eucharist and communion and the rite and the sacraments, of the Lord's Supper, that every time you approach, you will, you will know who you're eating to, <laughs> know what you're celebrating, know, know the hope towards which this meal is celebrating. And I tell you, I, I chewed on some things this week that I probably shouldn't have, that I thought were going to me, give me joy and give me hope and give me a reason to celebrate. They all let me down. This meal represents true food. True sustenance, true drink. You and I get very thirsty throughout the week when we get our mind off the larger story. One of the reasons I love doing communion, and I'd love to do it every week, one of the reasons I love doing communion is that it's impossible to miss the story. The sermon can stink. You can miss the gospel with the sermon, sadly. It's hard to miss the gospel when you come to the table. The bread representing Christ's body that he gave for you and I to purchase our very selves so that we could be welcomed into the kingdom of God. To pay a price that you and I could not pay. In the same way that the Passover lamb gave its life and its blood was spilt so that it would save the children of Israel. Jesus, the perfect lamb of God who takes away the sins of not a nation, who takes away the sins of the world, spilt his blood for you and I. And it brings us strength, it brings us hope, and it gives us reason to celebrate the larger story that you and I have been welcomed into. So you may have walked in here unstoried this morning. You may have been on one of the treadmills that the world has to offer. 
and you've been running and running and running and you've been unable to unplug it or hit the off switch. And it's just, you're not getting to an, any end line where you feel satisfied. I offer you the bread and the cup. I offer you Jesus the Christ who was and is and is to come. And as his disciples said, where else are we going to go? Only you have the words of eternal life. I offer to you this morning, if you've come here unstoried, leave here living in the epic that Christ died to welcome you into. And if you're here this morning and you've declared many times that that is your story, then I invite you to be sustained by the supper as we take it together. As we remember the giving of his body freely and the spilling of his blood for the salvation of many. Now, how we do this here, first I'm going to say, if you've walked in and this is not your story, and you plan on walking out the same way, don't take part in this. This is the worst snacks ever. (laughs) Okay? But if you say, yeah, this is my story. Jesus is my Savior. I have aligned my life to, to him, and I want to live out this epic that he's invited me into until I see him face to face and eat this meal with him, then whether you are a a tender of CAC or you're visiting, you are welcome to take part in this table. And so how we're going to do this, in a few moments, uh, we're going to spend some time in worship. And how we do it here is we walk down these two staircases here. We'll have our servers here. And you can take uh, bread and a cup and then make your way up. There's some side staircases that go back and make your way back to your seat. And once we're all back there with our cup and our bread, I will, I will pray and we will eat and we will drink together. If you are gluten-free, we will have gluten-free over here as well. So I'm going to invite the servers to come up and let's worship together through both song and through celebrating our hope and our strength in Jesus Christ through the Lord's Supper. Revelation chapter 1. Verse 6 says, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega says the Lord God, who is and who was and is to come, the Almighty. Let us eat. Jesus, who was in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Because of this, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's drink together.
Jesus, we thank you for a larger story. A story that was purchased for us through the giving up of your throne, through the taking on of flesh, through the giving up of your rights, through, your, through persecution, through beatings, through crucifixion, and through your death. So we remember, but we look to the future with hope and celebration for the day you will return. When every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess, as Scripture says, even those who pierced you will confess that you are the Almighty. You have declared it. You have proven it by your resurrection. May we leave this place animated by the beautiful epic you've invited us into, that you died to welcome us into. May we live with hope. May we live with celebration. May we live with a peace and a belonging and an identity that cannot be found anywhere else. May the world look at this small group of people in Coquitlam. Well, we'll just start with Coquitlam. May the people of Coquitlam look at this small group in this church and wonder why in a world that is crying out that the sky is falling, we are able to live with peace. And that that peace animates us to show mercy and kindness and gentleness to even our enemies. May we look different because you have declared that we are different, that you have made us holy and you have sanctified us in Jesus' name. We thank you for this story. Amen. Guys, I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to leave you with a benediction. Before, I, before you leave here, though, church is not over. There's a few things still happening. There are going to be a, a few people over here that are available to pray with you. I, I've used the phrase downcast several times. Some of you maybe have been walking through this week downcast. Your, your head has been down and you're willing your foot to get in front of the other foot. You're just trying to will yourself to move forward. And you need community. You need encouragement. You need someone to take you to the presence of God this morning. So please take advantage of those who are here to pray with you. You might not even have a word for what you're feeling. You might not be able to describe what, what you're sensing or what you've been going through. Just come up and say, please pray. And they, will, they would love to pray with you. Beyond that, we'll be out in the foyer Spend some time in community eating some, some cheap donuts and some great coffee. <laughs> Sorry, that's, they are, I'm just being honest. Let me leave you with these words from the end of the letter to the Romans. Paul writes, Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with the gospel, the message proclaimed about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles, that's you and me, might come to the obedience that comes from faith, to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you guys. Take care. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.